It's Sunday, August 21st, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a baseball podcast interrupted by a movie discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, Texas Rangers make a change in their front office as Mark DeRosa is named manager of Team USA. It's apparently become too dangerous to allow Alex Bregman to occupy second base, and Albert Pujols is approaching some rarefied air. The Cubs acquire a big stick, while the White Sox get a reliable glove for the infield. Finally, in our popcorn discussion, we'll discuss the 1974 Oscar nominee for Best Picture, The Conversation. How are you doing, Tom? I'm just dandy on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. How are you? Good. It's really, really foggy here. I took the dog out for a walk. I couldn't find the end of the driveway. Wow. But uh, but uh, but we I just I just got the uh, first week of school under under my belt. How'd that go? It it was it was tough. Uh, but what? the first week I thought yeah. it was usually the easiest week. Yeah. No. I, I mean, it it was tough because I had some difficult interactions. I mean, nothing angry or conflictive. Right. But uh, but just some moments that really, as a teacher, break your heart. You know, I had this kid come up to me. He's from Honduras. He came up. He introduced himself. He's like, you know, Mr. Fontana, I really, really happy to be in this class. I want to do well. You know, uh, we just got here, my family. And so, you know, he kind of he made an effort to kind of uh, sort of, uh, you know, just sort of introduce himself to me. Right. And I found out I found out two days later that the kid is homeless. You know, he has no home. Uh, and uh, I don't know. So, what, so wait, wait, wait. What does that mean? So so the, his parents are homeless as well and they're sending him to school. How does that it work? Mean, it means that there's some issue with the family. I don't know if and, and this is where I don't know what's going on. It means that there's some sort of issue with the family and he's no longer able to. He has no place to sleep. So what wow. happens is the state takes him in, they have facilities, and uh, they will take him to and from school, even though this facility might be 20, 30, 40 miles away. The state pays for him to take a taxi to and from school until his parents can kind of get him back to a place where, you know, he has a home again. And, you know, I mean, that was brutal. And then, then, then in my English language learning class, you know, I do this assignment where I have the kids kind of talk about themselves, where they're from, what they like, you know, describe themselves in different ways. And this kid is from Guatemala. And he says right at the end, he says, I am not very smart. I am not intelligent. He says that in front of the class in broken English. You know, he says, I am not very intelligent. And I'm like, whoa. Buddy, you got to stop right there. You are intelligent. Your intelligence. I tell him this in Spanish. I'm saying you're. Well, well, first of all, you speak two languages and and you're better than me right now. I'm going to tell you, not you, but that's what I would have said. Like, you're already smarter than me, buddy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And I said, your intelligence is not measured by your ability to speak English right now. You can be just fine. You know, and so that was a real heartbreaker. And, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, we took a, a, a professional development on crisis and trauma. And, uh, you know, we got to be ready for all sorts of stuff because it's going to be tough. 
But I, but I would think like a kid from Guatemala, that could be a huge success story for you. Oh, yeah. Because oh, you, this now you have the beginning of the story. That's right. Now, what is the rest of the story? What How is did, the rest of the story? What did that, you know, that boy turned out to be a surgeon or whatever. But, it, it, it he, you know, the sky's the limit. The idea that he's self-aware enough to say that to you means yeah. that he has a modicum of intelligence. Absolutely. You know, and I told so, him I told him pretty much the same thing. I said it took a lot of courage to reveal that in front of the whole yeah, class. Yeah. And uh, you should be proud of yourself. And, and you're going to be proud of yourself by the end of this year. But I've been doing a lot of mentoring. We had a lot of staff turnover. So we have a lot of new teachers. And I'm trying to uh, shepherd them into, you know, knowing what to do. And that's been kind of difficult because it takes away from my job if I'm, you know, stopping what I'm doing to help other people. Right. But but that's part of the that's that's the deal. You know, you gotta well, you've always given till it hurts, Leo. <laughs> That's true. All right. So you had a visitor up there in Harrison. Yeah, yeah we, we did. We, you know, this is a this is a kind of a lean to uh, one trick pony town. Yeah. Uh, I've square danced twice in towns like this one before in my life. That's what my old man used to say to me. Uh, but um, earlier this week, thanks God to the prevalence of these damn ring cameras. Everyone's apparently has ring cameras, even in in this you know, rural area, there's a fair amount of ring cameras. I, when I'm doing my daily walks, I see them everywhere. Um, and earlier this week on the east end of our lake, there was a baby bear that was caught on a ring camera wow. uh, rummaging through uh, this woman's garbage. Apparently, this baby bear was making an unbelievable amount of noise. That's what triggered all of this stuff. Um, and so, we've we've known that there's bears amongst us up here, but that's the closest that that I've ever seen it in our 20 plus years that we've been up here. So it's a little, it's a little close for, we, in other words, uh, there was some repercussions from this. We had to keep the, the bird feeders uh, completely free of food for the past yeah. week. Well, actually until further notice. So that, and again, as you pointed out, wherever that baby bear is, that means there's some mother bear, some, you know, not too far away. That's uh, right. Lurking. So that, that's just it's just you kind of learn your position in the world. When, whenever I'm starting to think about how big of a person, how great I am, I zoom out. I keep zooming out. And next thing you know, I see this earth and I'm like, wait, where am I in that earth? Well, that's you're right. nowhere. You're nowhere. That's right. <laughs> so, that so is, when anyone's ever feeling too full of themselves, tell them to zoom out. That's right. Zoom <laughs> out. Exactly. Well, that's uh, that's that's some exciting stuff. Uh, we don't have bears here in Glenview, but uh, we get deer and some other wildlife, right. coyotes, foxes. Yeah. But you, but you on, get something it, more virile, and it's called taxes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Seven. Sing countdown engines on three two check ignition and may God's love be with you. 
All right, so let's get right to the peanuts, and we'll open the bag and begin the discussion with uh, the Texas Rangers firing their general manager, John Daniels. Now, this was two days after Daniels fired the manager, Chris Woodward. You know, and the Rangers were supposed to, or they, they intended to be a good team this year, but they reside in the same division as the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners, and it just wasn't in the cards. And they spent a lot of money, and they they also spent a lot of money on this brand new stadium, and just things have not worked out. Now, by all accounts, this guy Daniels is supposed to be a real stand-up guy, you know, and he's very, very supportive of the people who work under him. Uh, there have been a lot of times where you know, maybe people in the press have felt like Daniels needed to make a move and remove some of these guys. But Daniels is always willing to give these people a second chance and, you know, to let them know that uh, he's on their side and that if he hired them, then he believes in them. And, and, and the fault isn't with that person, it's with him. And he was always willing to take responsibility for that. And, and what was weird about the whole thing is that Daniels had no idea that he was going to be fired. And the owner, you know, brought him out to to do this tough job of firing the manager publicly. And then he gets fired two days later. It was kind of a dick move, don't you think? Without a doubt. I mean, I mean there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack in this one. You know, Ray Davies, the guy that owns Texas, has always been kind of a jerk. But Ray I have to say, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he's a real Lola out there. He, yeah. The 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 fact is is that um, first of all, I have a problem with the fact that Houston and Texas are in the same division. I always have. I, if you look yeah. around baseball, they've always remedied that by putting the two teams in the same state in different uh, or the same know, city. Yeah. It, well, it, it, in different leagues, not you know, not in this, within the same league. So there's that issue. I think that Texas is obscured by Houston and Houston's success, um, number one. Um, number two is uh, John Dan Daniels, based I read this article, it seems like he's a straight up guy and all that stuff, but that's not what this, this business is about results. Yes. And the fact is, is that yes, it's not fair to him that they announced a rebuild during COVID and he hasn't really had a chance to see that through. Ultimately, it's a results business. And I will make you the case that they haven't they've been toothless for quite a while now yeah. and so it reminds me of al avila in detroit similar situation avila is a really nice guy too he's a straight shooter he doesn't you know and he, and he he does care about all of the players as you know daniels did here but unfortunately that's not what this is it's a results business and you have to the owner has that you know the owner owns the football in every sport and they can take that football and go home or they can take that baseball and go home so you see, you oftentimes see these types of what you would almost call impetuous decisions that are made in season. Why did you wait till the end? You could have done a, you could have gone in many different directions, Davies, on this. You, you didn't have to do it this way, but it's a, it's a brutal business. I, I would say that to Mr. Tony Larusa and, and to others that potentially have pending decisions coming up. You know, it's a brutal business. It's not a, you know, it, we, I was talking with my brother yesterday and I and I thought to myself, you know, there's two managers right now. You got Dusty Baker, who's going to get put into the hall, regardless if he wins a World Series or not. I hope he does. But I think the end is near for him. I think the end is near for La Russa as well. And, and, yes. I, and he's, he's past his born on dating. And so it's a brutal business. And I, I think that John Daniels found that out. 
Yeah, I think he did. So uh, on a positive note, yeah. former Chicago Cub Mark DeRosa right. was named manager of Team USA for the World Baseball Classic, which will happen this spring. And what was kind of cool about this is, um, you know, DeRosa is an analyst for the MLB Network. And right. DeRosa is in the studio with some of the other talking heads that they have over there. And they're talking to Tony Regans, who's the. Wait, wait a minute. USA. Wait a minute. Let, let, me, let me interrupt you. With other talking heads, you mean. You are talking about Lauren Shahati yeah. right now. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. That is okay, correct. Go ahead. Go ahead. Lauren Shahati. Yeah, she's emphasis on the hot part. Yeah, she. But she's actually. But I'll, I, I want to. Well, she, I really like her. She's actually very good. But she's she's um, distractingly beautiful. You know she what is. she needs is an industrial accident. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> I know. Well, anyway, so. Lauren Shahadi and, and DeRosa, and I think, I forget who the other guy is. The, the uh, and Anyway, the I don't want to know all their names. But they, they had Tony Regans on via Zoom, and they're interviewing him about uh, the World Baseball Classic that's going to happen this spring. And then Regans announces on the air that uh, DeRosa is going to be the manager of Team USA, which, you know, it's kind of a nice moment. It you is. Know? It is. And, 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 you know, I would say to DeRosa, you got a stacked lineup, buddy. You better win. There's some really good players that have pledged. So Trout's going to play. So does the Dominican Republic. Right, 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 right. But like in all things with the WBC, it's it it boils down to whether or not the pitchers are ready to compete, you know, and because this happens in the spring. There's an innings limit. I think they can only pitch like four innings if that's. It's, you know, it's something wacky like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's limits in terms of, you know, so that that team will only go as far as their pitching takes them. Right. And, you know, I've had some suggestions on how they need to deal with that. And that's that's maybe to bring in, you know, minor leaguers, guys who aren't under contract uh, with the majors, you know, especially because it has a DH. So just bring in guys from AAA who 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 are veteran pitchers, you know, and let them go. And then you can let them, you know, you can extend themselves a little bit and then they can look at it like it's an audition for the majors, you know? So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand why we don't just make it, you know, college kids or college or, or low level amateurs. I mean, it's not, you know, I know we're trying to put a competitive product out there and we're, that's the issue. There's politics at play here. The U S wants to win. And so, yeah. So yeah. so and I, to me, I think this is a huge advantage to South American baseball because of their seasons, where it fits into their seasons. They're in a different place um, yeah. in their, you know, baseball circadian rhythm than Major League Baseball players, or certainly certain North American players that, you know, are just starting their season. So all of that stuff comes into play. I still say put our best team out there. What the hell? It's just, yeah. it doesn't last forever. We can get over it. You know, if you can play 162 games, you can figure out a way to get this and the major leagues in as well. So whatever. But, well, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm always a big fan of the Israel team. I always pull. Yeah, yeah, right. Good, good so, luck to Mark DeRosa though. He's yeah, got his hands. No, good, yeah. And by all accounts, DeRosa is like one of the all time nice guys. So. And, and he's very good. I, by the way, I watched that morning show um, quite often and and he's he's quite good. Well, that's nice to know. That's nice to know. We don't have I don't have the MLB network on my package. We downgraded it recently for financial reasons, and right, uh, right. I have to get it back. But anyway, so um, now did you see where uh, the Savannah Bananas have been starting Bill Lee, Bill the Spaceman Lee, and this is the <laughs> former Boston Red Sox left-handed pitcher, and he's been coming out and pitching an inning. 
uh, every now and then, you know, to sort of uh, bring in some fans. He's their version of Mini Minoso then? Is that Mini Minoso, exactly. And this is obviously an independent league team. And, and, you know, Lee is in his 70s and he's come out. I think he's gotten a strikeout or two. And it's all a whole lot of fun. And everybody's having a great time until he collapsed uh, while warming up. And he suffered some sort of medical condition. They're not really saying what it is, whether it was a stroke or a heart attack or just fainted or a panic attack or whatever, but uh, they had to take the poor guy to the hospital. And I'm saying that, you know, Bill, as much as everybody wants to see you go out there, maybe it's time you 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 just sort of put the glove down and well, watch the cheap seats. They had a video of him actually warming up with another older player, and he was like doing karate kicks. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're 75 years old. You know, I, I know how that feels now at my age. And that's, it, you know, that's if I do a karate kick, I'm going to need a week of recovery. Uh, you know what I mean? So I just it, I think it's remarkable that he gets out there, can actually throw the ball to home plate at that age, because I know I know that's difficult. But he was always an odd guy. Yeah, he was. You know, he he was. was the spaceman. <laughs> he was the spaceman. Remember when he was interviewed for the baseball documentary by Ken Burns? He had that CCCP, that Soviet yeah, Union yeah. baseball hat on. I was, I was wondering, where the hell did he get that? You know, uh, and, Right. That's, that's Bill Lee. No, he, he's a very interesting guy. The, the great quote that Bill Lee had was when he was facing Don Gullett in the 1975 World Series. And Gullett at the time was, you know, just a flame-throwing pitcher. He was regarded as probably the best pitcher in the National League at the time. And somebody asked him how he felt about facing him. And he said... Tonight, you know, after this game tonight, Don Gullett will go to the Hall of Fame. I'm going to the Elliott Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> he did start game seven of that World Series, by the way. He, he did. started that. He started game seven of a World Series. That, Bill, I mean, that's incredible into itself. And there's that just great moment where he throws that slop, Ephus, curveball. Oh, yeah. Pitch, and oh, Tony yeah. Perez crushed it over the Green Monster. Correct. With his, yeah. it's, his toe kick. Yeah. Lee's toe kick. Yeah. But so, anyway, um, so what's, what's going on with Alex Bregman? Alex Bregman is uh, it's interesting. This is the Houston Astros outfielder, I guess. Or, and he this is the second time this has happened. He was on second base. Yeah. Uh, this happened earlier. Bre- Bregman's an infielder, by the way. He's on my on my soon to be champion baseball. I don't team. watch the Astros enough. I don't get to yeah. you know, between grading papers and planning lessons. I don't <laughs> <laughs> to see the Astros like I, I need to. But but Bregman, you know, he he was on second base and he was intentionally balked by Dylan Cease. Yeah. Uh, so and this was to make sure that he could not steal the grip of the pitch that that Cease was using, because Bregman is so good at figuring out or identifying what pitch the pitcher is going to throw by looking at the grip that he has yep. when he pulls the hand out of the glove to, right. to, to throw the ball. And he did this again against the Dodgers and the Dodgers did the same thing. They balked him over to third base right. to kind of take this advantage away, which in my mind, this is unbelievable. You know, but I've this is le- this play. is legal. So first of yeah. all, Bregman is allegedly the best in the majors at this, even though I'm yeah. sure other players would take exception to this. But they say he's quite good at it, so much so that this is people think this is unheard of, but it's actually really not. It, the, this is legal what he's doing, uh, first and foremost, and good for him. 
This is not electronic stealing. This is old-fashioned stealing, and that's part of that's part of the makeup of baseball. The fact that he's got that good of an eye. Yeah. All great hitters have great eyes. If you haven't, they have a dominant eye. Whatever, whatever they bat, even switch hitters sometimes have both eyes are like that. That they can actually see that's the spin on that ball coming in excess of 90 miles an hour. You and I cannot, uh, or we certainly couldn't uh, when we were younger. Most people cannot. So the idea that he he is so good at that that you would actually advance him a base. First yeah. of all, it's brilliant. It's brilliant defense. But second of all. I don't think people in the stands, maybe now because he's going to get some press on this, even know what the hell's going on in the game. That, yeah, that because yeah. uh, when you throw the ball down like that, that's an automatic balk. And, and well, in, in well, past, p- pitchers have been thrown out of the game for that uh, yeah. because because they've done it so violently. But uh, it's it just it's just a weird scene. But ba- baseball's just that great sport where this kind of stuff can go on. It's all part of just the greatness of baseball, I think, that this kind of thing can exist within the great game of baseball. Well, you saw, I mean, you saw the video of Cease just, you know, he goes to he goes to the stretch and then he just drops the ball. The ball rolls off the mound. He walks over to pick it up and then he looks at the umpire like. Yeah, exactly. Oh, when, are, when are you going to call it? When are you going to call this buck? You know, right. and, and by the way, the next hitter flew out to end the inning. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, again, Tony La Russa looks uh, looks like a genius with this particular move. Uh, yeah. But but if you like, as you clearly stated, Bregman's known for this. This is going to be the last time it happens. And, um, you know, by the way, on my he was on my hitter that day. He got me 23 and a half points when four or five points in a day is a lot because yeah. he hit two home runs and 10 RBIs. And it just he had a monster day. Uh, yeah. But. He, he also took away an opportunity for a stolen base because a balk negates a stolen base. But anyways, yeah. I digress. Yeah. <laughs> How's Albert well, Pujols doing? Yeah, we got to find a way to Yeah. Well, so you mentioned Albert Pujols, and Pujols hit his 690th home run. Well, it's 692. He hit two more yesterday. He hit two more yesterday? Yeah, I, it's 692. Wow. Unbelievable. He's just... Going back to St. Louis, completely breathed new life into his career. I mean, he right. was just an old, slow guy in California, but 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 he just seems to have found the fountain of youth in St. Louis. Good for him. I understand that the steroid testers of the major leagues are taking a red eye to St. Louis uh, tonight. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see what happens. It's but, just uh, remarkable the amount of home runs he's had after the age of 42. It's it's quite remarkable. It first, is a, ballot, first ballot Hall of Famer. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And what I like about this, he only needs now, now he only needs what? Uh, eight, I think. Not eight more. Well, eight to get to uh, 700. But it looks like he, he only needs about five more to pass uh, Alex Rodriguez. And right. I'm really rooting for that. Me too. He, Me too. He would be fourth all time. Do you think he would stick around long enough to try to pass Ruth and Aaron? No, because I thought I had thought that 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 him and Molina are going out this year together, and I thought I thought I thought they're retiring. I thought that they said that last year, but yeah. I hope I hope they. I don't. I'm not a fan of this behavior at all. It should be organic. If you're good, I mean, right now he's hitting good enough to just like Cabby a couple of months ago. He was hitting enough that who else? You can't sit him. He's one of the best hitters on the team. It's the same thing with Pujols. The Cardinals are, and by the way, they're playing very well. 
Cardinals yeah, have won yeah. six straight games. And if they're not on your radar, they should be because they're slowly moving up into the next echelon. And what I mean by that, the Yankees are falling, but they're still at the top of that echelon. Houston's up at, up at the top there. Um, but you go into the National League, everyone's, oh, it's the Dodgers and the Mets. Watch out for the Cardinals. That's yeah, all I No, I, I'd like to see the Cardinals make some noise in the playoffs. That would be good. I know a lot of people in St. Louis, and that would make them happy, especially since the Cubs are just, well, we'll talk about them in a moment. But let's get to Chicago baseball. Yeah. And uh, and so the Blue Angels, you know, the Aaron Water Show is this weekend, and the Blue Angels uh, do their customary practice on the lakefront. And that often happens on a Friday afternoon when there's a Cubs game. And I've been to several Cubs games when the Blue Angels do this. And it's really kind of a special thing to have happen you know and I, I i remember one game in particular i was in the bleachers and i never ever sit in the bleachers and i'm watching the game and steve Traxel, you remember him this guy oh, would yeah. take forever to deliver a pitch and uh there were there were run the bases were loaded and there was a 2-2 count and you know trash Traxel goes to the stretch he takes forever to deliver the pitch he finally delivers it, and at that very same moment that he throws the pitch, the Blue Angels just buzz coming from home plate straight out over center field. Nice. Right as the pitch is delivered. And I'm watching from center field from the bleachers, and I swear to God, Tom, that pitch was a strike. But 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 the but the jet aircraft, you know, distracted the umpire. He called it a ball. It was a three-two count. He ends yeah, up walking yeah. the next pitcher, and then he's out of the you know he's he's out of the game a couple couple batters later. So, I, I kind of I remember this, and you know, living on the north side of Chicago, that went over my house every single year when they practice. So they remember that before it starts, I think fr- Thursday and Friday. There's a little yeah. thing on Thursday, but Friday they practice. Yeah. Um, and leading up to. Uh, I think Saturday and Sunday, the actual events. Well, one of my best friends, you know, uh, Jim Brabeck was an air traffic controller at O'Hare and the head air traffic controller was Mickey Vandini. And I don't know if you remember Mickey Vandini, him and another friend of his were the Joe Pesci bookends. Do you remember those guys at Cody's in the 90s? Yeah, yeah, I vaguely, vaguely. I used to call them the Joe Pesci bookends. They looked, they were about the same size. They kind of talked like Joe Pesci, you know, those kind of. But anyways, Mick, Mickey Vandini was the head air traffic, he's retired now, but for years, he was the head air traffic controller for the air and water show. So oh, wow. I could go, I could go almost any time I wanted, which we we never did because quite honestly, all you have to do is go outside. You could, yeah. at least for us, because we're on the north side of Chicago and you can basically see something. And so I do remember when that happened during that Cubs game, because there was talk about not, you know, that, that by the way, that was no accident that they flew over Wrigley Field. No, oh, that's it, pretty well, well, yeah, it was it every time, man choreographed and so forth so yeah but i gotta tell you my dogs never liked it my dogs were you know the dude particularly was like what the hell is going on you know so um yeah i had mixed feelings about the blue angels but i give them a lot of credit you know you know the purpose of that of the blue angels is to recruit new we knew that right a lot of people don't know that they think you know that, that that's a taxpayer uh thing that exists as a recruitment tool well, sign me up. I'll join the Air Force. <laughs> I would too if I could fit inside of one of those aircraft. Well, well that's the thing, Tom. They got drones now, so yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's, that's true. the thing. So, um, so the Cubs acquired a big stick, and that's Franmil Reyes. And yeah. this is what you know. They've won five in a row, six in a row, 
And he's exactly what the Cubs offense has needed. You know, just that presence, that big right-handed guy, he's hitting home runs, he's hitting triples. He really has uh, rediscovered himself. And this all goes back to the fact that the Cubs had had a coach or a scout who, who had worked with Reyes before, you know, saw something and felt that he could fix him. And if this guy's around next year and he's producing like he is now, that is a huge win for the Cubs. Yeah, this is a deeply flawed player that, um, you know, is it, it, it could hit 30 home runs a year. But yeah. there's a lot of, you know, when you said he hit a triple, I almost started laughing. Just the idea of watching two. I want to see this guy lumbering around the base. He weighs 255 pounds. Or that's what he says. He looks actually like a lot heavier than that, but whatever. Um, but we haven't had a hitter like this since Solaire. Solaire yeah. reminds me of him. Solaire's a better defender, but um, Reyes and Solaire are very similar in what they bring to the party, which is it's, you're going to see explosive home runs um, followed by, you know, over 12, right over 12 streaks, right. Uh, but but it's like they have him working on hitting the ball to right field to making contact because if he makes contact, the ball goes, you know. And and what's hilarious about this is if you if you think about it, this is really the first DH only player that the Cubs have had. You know, yeah. this guy. Well, they've had other DHs on their team well, in my mind, but yes. DHs, but this, <laughs> right. I mean, they've had other DHs who who've played other positions. You know. Yes. So this is this guy isn't playing anything no, else. No, he, he's a pure DH. Oh, yeah. he can, actually he can play outfield, and he's not horrible. I looked at his defensive uh, win above replacement. It's not horrible. It's just he's a he's an offensive. He's just a big lumbering. He yeah. reminds me of Solaire. As I hate yeah. to say it. Solaire with a with a with a better personality. Yeah. <laughs> well, Solaire was a pretty good defender, I thought. At no, times. he is. He is. But no, this guy Reyes is really good in the clubhouse, though, and that's yeah. what uh, that's what I mean. So, getting to the White Sox, and we're going to talk about some of the latest uh, blunders by Tony Larusa. Um, they did take a um, they they took a step forward against the Astros. They played four games. They won the first two, and they looked great. Right. But then the Astros just slapped them back into place, and they won the next two, including the finale which they won, what was it, 25? 21 to 5, I think. But, but that was the game that they they put, they moved Bregman. Because yeah, he, that, was the day they, that was the game they moved Bregman, and he had So the, that wasn't all on, on Tony. You know, Giolito got lit up in that game. And he can't, what happened to Giolito? He used to be an ace-quality pitcher, and he's – He's beyond just average in my mind. There's better pitchers on that team. He used to be the the the, the big guy on that staff. I don't, you know, and Lance Lynn is struggling too. The, the no, Sox Lynn, are, yeah, yeah. The, 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 no, he really is. Lynn is Lynn's getting hit, even though different circumstances. This is still Lance's spring training. Yeah. Um, whereas that's not the case for Giolito. Giolito's been less than average for the last year and a half, in my opinion. And and I, you know. Um, they did acquire um, uh, Al, uh, Elvis Andrews. Who, Elvis who, Andrews, yeah, to replace who, Tim Anderson for the remainder of the season. Yeah, you know, it, it's about a, a swap, you know, from a defense. They, they don't get that much better defensively with Andrews uh, at this point in his career. Um, but, you know, that, that's it's, it's a, a nice Band-Aid. The problem with the Sox still exists. I don't know how they're going to get better defensively by the end of the year. I don't know how those pitchers are going to win games by the end of the year. Um, but they have, a, they have some good hitters. They've got some guys that can hit the ball. They, they, it's interesting. They, they, um, 
you know, with with the rotation of Cease, Cueto, and Lynn, they have a puncher's chance. You know, yeah, Lynn, right, Lynn, right. Lynn had a decent outing actually last time. I think he went like five and a third innings and didn't give up a run until he had to give way to Reynaldo Lopez. Hey, you know, Johnny so, Cueto last night, eight and two thirds, scoreless. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was uh, I was actually making a run to the dispensary, and I was listening to the, a late night run to the dispensary, and I'm listening to the White Sox game, and I was stunned, you know, when Len Casper said it was the seventh inning and Cueto was still in there, yeah. you know, and uh, so I was really happy to see that, you know, and because uh, you're not seeing many pitchers pitch to the ninth inning anymore. Well, not Johnny Cueto, not guys that are as old as him. That's a very unusual. It could it could impact his next start, but anyhow. Well, that that really was uh, the the acquisition of the year, and if and if Andrus does anything, I mean, the White Sox you know, are just, uh, they're making these miraculous uh, acquisitions of guys off the scrap heap. Right. So, you know, right. they're turning they're turning trash into treasure right before our eyes. Well, but, they, they uh, just have to kind of tread water and be within reach of the playoffs by the time Anderson comes back. I mean, that's really should be their goal. It'd be, because they're, I, not, they're not a playoff team today, though. They're not. Well, they know, can't beat, they cannot beat over 500 teams. So it doesn't matter if they make the playoffs or not. Even if they do, they'll get knocked out because they cannot beat over 500 teams are one of the worst so-called good teams in baseball against 500 teams. And by the way, the Cardinals aren't so good at it either. I was looking no. at that today. Cardinals struggle against the really good teams. So, well, I mean, everybody will. I mean, generally, if you look at any, no, 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 the Yankees have like 42 wins against over 500 teams, whereas the Cubs have like 26. I mean, like it's or or not the Cubs, uh, the Sox. The yeah. Sox have like a very low number. No, you're right. You're right. And, and and I just do want to mention that Tony La Russa, again, and I don't know if he did this out of spite, but he had a one and two count on a hitter and he intentionally walked him. Now, it what, what was the result? The result was the next hitter made an out and the inning ended. So the, the move worked out if you're Tony La Russa, but I can't, I mean, I'm sorry. When a hitter has two strikes on them, Collectively, their batting average is really, really low. You know, hitters as a species hit under 200 when they have two strikes on them or something crazy like that, some really low number. LaRusso is missing Dave Duncan. Didn't Dave Duncan used to do this job for him for LaRusso years ago? I'm pretty sure he did, and he was quite good at it. And you didn't see the criticism that you see today. Basically, what, what my brother says is Tony's lost touch with the modern game. And he, you know, he's a hall. Do you fire a Hall of Famer? And I say no. I say you don't. Well, uh, you know, one hesitates to say I told you so. Right, right. But, uh, but, uh, but I, I, we predicted this would happen, and uh, it's been two years, and I don't see how he can come back and manage this team next year. I really don't. Right. But anyway, so that concludes our peanuts discussion, and a. And a brisk one it was. Yes, it was. Let's get- this is a world of hidden mics and two-way mirrors. A world where nothing is private. Harry Cole is an expert. The best there is. Let me tell you something about Harry Cole. The best... Bar none. I'll drink to that. Best what? The best bugger on the West Coast. 
So what about me? He can bug anybody, anytime, anywhere. Nobody knows how you did it, though, Harry. Caused a hell of a scandal, too. Just voices. Three people were murdered, that's all. He doesn't know them, and they don't know him. Uh, it had nothing to do with me. I mean, I just turned in the tapes. You're just supposed to listen. Not look. Not feel. Not care. Don't get involved in this, Mr. Cole. These tapes are dangerous. Gene Hackman is Harry Call in The Conversation. Let's get right to the popcorn. And you selected the movie this week. You chose the 1974 Francis Ford Coppola film, The Conversation. This is a movie that was nominated for uh, for an Academy Award for Best Picture. It won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. And it's one of the five movies where John Cazale makes an appearance. And I think all of them were nominated for Best Picture. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Deer Hunter, Godfather 1 and 2. So that's four. And then uh, Dog Day the Afternoon. And, right. And this film, The Conversation. This film, The great. Conversation. Well, now, I, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. It's probably going to me, me, me either. Me either. And I got to tell you, I mean, I watched it last night with my wife. She didn't like it very much, but I was absolutely mesmerized. First of all, it is a triumph for analog technology. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it you is. know. For, for for directional microphones and wires and things like that. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a movie about a man who does surveillance for a living. He's the kind of guy who are like, well, I, I want to know what these guys are up to. So you well, hire he gets, him. He gets paid to eavesdrop. Yes, basically he gets paid to, paid to eavesdrop. And he is, by all accounts, the best at what he does. Um, we find that out because he goes actually to a trade show for other guys who work in the surveillance business and everybody just wants to get a picture with him. Everybody wants him to endorse their products. They're all over him. But the problem is, as good as he is at surveilling other people, he's terrible at knowing when other people are surveilling him. And he gets into some embarrassing and some difficult situations as a result. But he's hired to surveil this young couple and you begin to piece it together that these people are having an affair and 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 it's the it's the husband of the young woman who has hired Gene Hackman's character to do this Harry his name is Harry and uh and so it's all about sort of him sort of trying to put together the conversation that he records through very difficult circumstances and he feels that something may happen to this couple, that they may be hurt in some way, and that somehow he has this deep-rooted Catholic sensibility that he is responsible for it. And I just think this is a remarkable movie. It is a study in guilt. It is a study in paranoia. And um, I don't think it's Coppola's best movie, but I think it's an extremely important one. And I'm glad you chose it. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, uh, Francis Ford Coppola thinks this is his best film. This is his favorite film. This is Gene Hackman's favorite film that he ever made. Um, Fortunately, both of those those, uh, classic uh, folks from the 70s 
which, by the way, let me just say, the 1970s produced some of the greatest films of all time. I've always said the 40s may be my favorite decade, but the 70s might be my second favorite decade. There's just so many great films, and this is one of those movies. I think it's a masterpiece. I have to tell you, this: I, when I saw this film, I saw it in 1979 in a theater on acid. Uh, and um, it troubled me enormously the, the the paranoia in the film oh, yeah. like you describe it, it to the to the point where i was like this is the most devastating film i've ever seen at the at the time and so to see it again without being on uh acid it was um it still really kind of holds up because really what you're talking about is and and i think this is relevant today this subject this this kind of reminds me of politics that, that have been going on um lately which is there's these basically what gene hackman does his character does is dirty tricks they they listen to other conversation they use that information against them and it's you know it's basically at its root it's unethical it's it's a uh, it's uh, kind of a grim indictment of civilization the fact that this even you know exists and the fact that harry's this very private guy you know at one point he says to this woman why are you asking me all these questions why do you need to know and i almost want to say harry why do you need to know why do you listen to everybody's conversations like there's all of these and also, it was beautifully filmed, like a film noir. And the other, the other thing is, you notice some of the camera angles, such genius, that it was like eavesdroppers, camera yeah. angles, meaning it was the like camera would go in and go out. Yeah. Like it was motion sensor. Like yeah. Coppola was so he began writing this film in 1966 and he thought it would be a film uh, out much earlier, but he couldn't get the financing until The Godfather hit. And then yeah. when The Godfather hit. The studio gave him whatever he wanted. In, in fact, I, there's a couple of hilarious moments, um, uh, trivial things. So friend of the show, Timothy Carey, was supposed to play the Alan Garfield part. Yeah. But, but his demands were so outrageous, including this demand. He insisted that he would he would play the part, but the producer of the film had to mow his lawn. <laughs> And, and so they fired him out of hand, okay? <laughs> out of no, hand, they said, we're was, not, you know, we're not going to hire you. There, there's all these these just... Uh, he would have been so good. So, so Coppola says, I want a blue Mercedes limousine to direct this film. And they gave it to him because of the success of The Godfather, the very last scene of the film. Yeah, Cindy see. Williams, that's his blue yeah. Mercedes uh, uh, limo or whatever. So... Uh, it's just, you know, the other thing about Call, I have to say, just percolating under the surface was this rage. It, it reminded me of the film in some regard of Taxi Driver and the fact that it was in the 70s, very desolate. I mean, he he walked around in basically a 20, back at the time, I think there were like 25 or 30 cent instant raincoats that you would fold up in your pocket. Yeah. Real, yeah. real, in the whole film, like he was wearing it nonstop. Um he just looked like a nudnik. What 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 guys that are nudniks? Like he's just a boring, nondescript guy. Um, and no one will notice that is unimportant. You know, I bet you Coppola says, "I've got great news for you, Gene. You get to keep your wardrobe." You know. Yeah. Right. 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 It, it, it's just abject paranoia. But you can't be a wiretapper and have a conscience. You just can't. No. Like like there's a point where Kazal and him 
are having a dis- discourse where Casal says, you know, don't you want to know what they're saying? And, and Harry uh, Hackman's like, no, no, I don't. I don't care about that at all. I, this is just a job to me. In fact, I don't want to know about it. Whereas, you know, Casal's character is like, well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in what they're talking, which, by the way, most normal. This is this is all set up in the what's become the voyeur world that we live in today with the recording devices and cameras and all of this stuff. What the conversation, and like you said, it was, it was such an analog film. And I studied yeah. electronics in the 70s. I know a lot of that stuff. And it was, just, it's, to me, it brings back such great memories for me. Just the smell of solder burning on a circuit board, you know, to bring, it just brings back such a memory for me. Um, but I love Terry Gar. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. She's in it for like four seconds, but I really, this one, she was just so beautiful and so great. Um, and and Cindy Williams, too. I mean, you forget how charming a mm-hmm. uh, young actress she was at that time, you know, and uh, and there's just so many, you know, Harrison Ford has a small right. part in it. No, Well, actually, his part, <clears throat> the reason why Harrison Ford's part even existed is because Ford is such a method guy or was back in the day and was poor as shit, but knew he was going to be playing this gay guy. So he went out and bought this $4,000 flamboyant suit and Coppola said, we got to get some lines for this guy. And so he yeah. He, yeah. he was that impressed with Ford's devotion to character that his part increased because of it. Wow. And that yeah. I didn't know. There's, that there's a, this, this movie is, uh, it's, just, it, it, it's just a taut 1970s film noir at its finest. And, and later in the season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, have another Gene Hackman film for us to watch, also made in the 70s, um, which I like. Ju- well, I don't like as much as this film. So this is my 12th favorite film. I think it's a masterpiece. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's like uh, I think it's like Rashomon, but in a different way. You know? Well, I wouldn't say that, but it is. I will say this, that it is a completely American movie. It is born out of the paranoia of the Watergate era. Correct. You know, and uh, and and I, I, I Which think was that, just a coincidence. The film yeah. was written like in the late 60s before Watergate ever happened. So anyways. Yeah. No. And, 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 and in a way, it kind of works as a distraction because my wife's like, oh, was this. Wait, are they talking about Watergate? Was he? No, no, Julie, this is fictional. And she's like, well, yeah. Watergate wasn't fictional. No, no, Julie. I mean, I'm trying to explain that. It's not that the movie is fictional. The movie just makes mention of a president, but it's not they're not necessarily citing Nixon. No, they actually were talking about Nixon Kennedy. When when he refers to that election thing, it, it was a, a, a reference to the 1960 election because this is 1974. Remember at the party goes 12 years ago, you know, we were involved in this. Da, 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 da. That's what they were referring to. But um, it's just was Coppola's luck that this film was released like a month or so after Nixon resigned. So the yeah. topic was was very right. prescient, yeah, was, very prescient at the time. That was not their intent, just so you know. That just was a, that was just lucky. And and sometimes that happens when you make yeah. a movie and uh, it really was timely. All right. Well, thank you for your selection, Tom. I really enjoyed it. It was great because it was right there on Amazon Prime. I just opened up Amazon Prime. It was free because I have Amazon. So that was awesome. So, so do you have a movie for us for next week? I ab- I absolutely do. This is a movie uh, that uses one of that is uses the subject of boxing as its premise, which I think uh, boxing of all the sports really lends itself to film more than any other. And uh, the movie I I, showed, I agree. That, I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, when you think about the great movie, you know, like 
movies about boxing tend to be really, really good. Yes. And uh, the movie I chose was is uh, Girl Fight. So uh, interesting. Yeah, you're gonna like this movie. Uh, it's a, not a very well known movie, but it's a really, really good one. I do remember when this came out. And again, I thank you for bringing something to me that I would not normally have taken out of the dustbin. So Excellent. I appreciate Excellent. it. Yeah. Well, I was worried that maybe we had talked about it before because it's a movie I like a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about it. So until then, we are the two peas in a podcast. Oh, bang the drum slowly and play the fight lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.